DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined by Father Wade Meneses, who's a member of the Fathers of Mercy, a missionary preaching religious congregation based in Auburn, Kentucky. He is a contributing writer for the National Catholic Register, our Sunday visitor, Late Witness, and Christian Ranchman Publications. Father Wade has also hosted several television series for EWTN. He's also the popular host of EWTN's global Catholic radio network, Open Line Tuesday. He's the author of The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. With Father Wade Menezes, we go inside the pages of Overcoming the Evil Within, The Reality of Sin, and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy, published by EWTN Publishing. Father Wade, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome, Chris. It's good to be with you again. I am so excited about overcoming the evil within, the reality of sin, and the transforming power of God's grace and mercy. There's no one who kind of uh, just brings tremendous clarity to important topics like you do. So thank you so much, Father Wade. Oh, well, I, I thank you for your compliment, and it's all God's work, and I mean that sincerely when I say that. May I continue to be an instrument to... Uh, Uh, get the truth out to those who desire it and those who may not know about it uh, to strive to live better lives. I think this book is so important. I mean, as we're recording this particular conversation, we're in the the Easter season of 2020, which has been very challenging for so many people. But in reality, Father, isn't every day challenging for us? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm very big on the so-called theology of faithfulness to daily duty, mm-hmm. uh, whether one be single, married, or a consecrated priest, brother or sister, uh, doctor, farmer, lawyer, homeschooling mother of six, uh, divorced dad of four, striving to live a chaste life, uh, retired grandparent, working grandparent, um, recently widowed grandparent, or a grandparent that just celebrated their 66th wedding anniversary. It doesn't matter. We're all called to holiness. We're all called to sanctity. We're all called to live that best version of self, the university student, the high school student, the middle school student, even the elementary school student who's attained the age of reason around age seven and thereby can make moral choices you know, for this or for that, uh, for this good or for this evil, for this virtue or for this vice. Uh, If we've attained the age of reason, our dignity made in God's image and likeness calls us to live well, to live virtuously well. And uh, that's what I hope uh, overcoming the evil within uh, will tell people in regards to its primary message. You know, I I wrote this book for individuals seeking to overcome the shame of sin. I wrote it for anyone desiring uh, the unending mercy of God, which is his greatest gift and attribute, his mercy. I've written it for Catholic schools, uh, for principals, for teachers, for parents, um, and also for diocesan family ministries personnel, and also for parishes uh, to have a Book of the Month club or uh, for confirmation classes in in parishes, huh? Mm -hmm. And for youth and and young adult group leaders, and also for college and post-college students. So I'm hoping it'll really resonate with people, this overcoming the evil within, the reality of sin, and the transforming power of God's grace and mercy. This is a very positive book. You would think when you're dealing with the topic of sin, which is absolutely is something we need to take very seriously. But on the other hand, this is a book about freedom. 
This is about a book about transformation. It's extraordinarily positive. You know, I thank you for those comments because uh, I, I'm very excited about that very truth about the book. Uh, the first third talks about the reality of sin and is very hard-hitting on what the Church's time-honored doctrine of sin is. Huh? Uh, and then the remaining two-thirds is about the striving for virtue, the striving for the best version of self, a proper fear of the Lord, filial fear instead of servile fear, conversion, God calling us to divine intimacy, and the, the beautiful sacrament of penance and reconciliation. So uh, I'm excited about that, that fact, that, that it is a very positive book. It's, it's written with great joy, as was The Four Last Things, its predecessor. Uh, and, you know, it also extends the whole theme of living eternity-minded, quote-unquote, which is a strong theme of The Four Last Things, a catechetical guide to death, judgment, heaven, and hell, which I released in late 2017. Uh, I, I encourage my listeners to be um, eternity-minded, and not in a morose or morbid kind of way, no, not at all, but in a, in, a, in a realistic sense. We're called to the beatific vision. We're called to eternal beatitude. Uh, we're called to spend eternity with God beyond this average of 78 years of our earthly life. Those are the latest uh, longevity statistics for those of us living in the West. We're called to spend an eternity with God. So the remaining two-thirds of the book is about those beautiful truths. The reality is, for many of us, is that... We think that the enemy, the devil, is very powerful and has a lot of power, and yet there's something worse than the devil. And as you point out in the book, it's sin, and that's something that we choose. That's the danger, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, sin is real. Uh, Number 1865 of the Catechism tells us very, very clearly uh, that unchecked venial sins can lead us into mortal sin. Um, and and eight, that 1865 of the Catechism, that paragraph number, tells us that sin creates a proclivity to further sin if it's not kept in check. Uh, the fact that it engenders vice by repetition of the same acts, uh, this results in perverse inclinations which cloud human conscience and corrupts the concrete judgment between good and evil. And so it is then that sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself and draw us away from God. But the good news is, is there's the reality of virtue that overcomes sin, virtue and virtuous living. You know, the, the five bodily senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, and the four faculties of the soul, uh, namely the intellect, will, memory, and imagination, which have the passions, emotions, and feelings bound up within those four realities of the soul. Uh, these nine great gifts, huh? the, the five bodily senses and the four faculties of the soul, these nine great gifts call us to live a virtuous life. Number uh, 1803 of the Catechism tells us that virtue and virtuous living is pursuance of the good and the true in concrete daily actions with all five of the bodily senses and with the faculties of the soul. The, the, again, these nine great gifts. So uh, we can overcome sin, but we have to have a view to that eternity that we're called to with God and the fact that God, through his sanctifying grace, wants us to live a, a truly, truly joyful life now here on earth that is a foreshadowing of that life with him in heaven. And so this is why I talk about the different categories of sin in, in the first third of the book. Uh, and this is just time-honored doctrine from our one holy Catholic and apostolic church. You know, there's this distinction between sins of malice, sins of ignorance, 
and sins of weakness. And I talk about each of the three of those. Uh, there's also the distinction between mortal sin and venial sin. There's also the distinction, uh, Chris, between sins of thought, word, deed, known also as commission, and fourthly, omission. So thought, word, commission, or omission. Sins of commission are things that I did that I should not have done, and sins of omission are things that I did not do that I should have done. Mm -hmm. Think of the beautiful wording of the confidior at Mass, which is the first of the several penitential right options at the Mass. Uh, in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and in what I have failed to do, huh? the, the confidior, the I confess uh, at Mass, during the penitential rite. There's also spiritual sins versus carnal sins. Um, there's also sins according to the virtues they oppose by excess or defect, and I'd like to maybe come back to that during this hour. That's an important category. Um, also, sins according to the commandments uh, of the Ten Commandments that, that they directly violate, uh, like adultery is mentioned verbatim in the Ten Commandments. Um, how about whether sins concern the three categories of God, neighbor, or oneself. Sins against God, sins against neighbor, or sins against oneself. So these are just some various categories of sin uh, taught by Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, throughout the centuries, that we have just seemingly forgotten the reality of sin. Uh, which also points me to say this. I think a big impetus of my writing the book was that I came to realize as an itinerant missionary preacher who, who hears a lot of confessions on the road, it's just the nature of our work as Fathers of Mercy, it's the nature of our apostolate, um, I came to realize there's a lot of great, great books on confession, the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation, but there's not a strong patrimony of books, Catholic books, on the reality of sin, the very nature of sin. And so my hope, my goal was to add to the patrimony of, of a book that really talks about sin. I don't understand sometimes, Father Wade, why there would be the aversion to want to understand ourselves and why we do the things we do or how we can maybe improve ourselves. That There seems to be an aversion out there to want to even go there. And yet, when you think about it, if, I know this may seem very simplistic, but if I want to drive a car, I have to learn a lot of rules. I remember when I was 16 and I looked at those rule books and there, I, it seemed like there was so much to learn, to learn how to navigate. But now I can do it because I know those rules. I can drive safely. I can get where I need to go. I don't hurt anybody. And now I'm even freer than I was. Yeah, that's right. And it seems as though that's exactly what you're trying to help us, and even more so when it comes to navigating our lives and how we operate in the world, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You know, uh, we want to overcome any emptiness that's in our life and anything that weighs us down, that goes mm -hmm. against our betterment of self, but, and which then rather feeds our detriment of self. We want to pursue goodness instead of evil. We want to pursue virtue instead of vice. You know, diligence in the spiritual life, understanding God's mercy, um, the reading of sacred scripture, uh, returning to the seven sacraments, uh, especially Eucharist and reconciliation, those two sacraments of the seven that can be received over and over again with much frequency, because these are the two sustaining sacraments. 
that sustain us in our vocation and state in life. Again, whether single, married, or a consecrated priest, brother, or sister. Uh, how about healing broken relationships? That's a big one in this mm -hmm. modern day and time in which we live. These are things we want to strive to do to better ourselves. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, Chris, he gives, gives a great definition of guilt. He says, guilt is the loss of integrity of soul and the soul's recognizing that fact. Mm. Guilt is the loss of integrity of soul and the soul's recognizing that fact. And uh, that, that's a good thing. The soul recognizes that it's lost its integrity because of sin, and it wants to refurbish itself. It wants to reestablish itself in God's grace. And so that's a good thing. Um, now, there is such a thing as, as a bad guilt, you know. Uh, th think of the Jansenist movement of the 18, early 18th century, especially in France, where every little thing was considered a sin. Everything was considered a mortal sin. Uh, th that's too extreme. The Church presents us with a very balanced view of the moral life. Case in point, and this gets back to that category of sin that I just said a few minutes ago that I hope we could uh, get to this hour, and I think this leads into it well, what you just asked. I, I'd mentioned the category of sins uh, according to the virtues they oppose by either excess or defect. So we have the seven capital sins, right? Mm -hmm. Which are time -offered. They come from Scripture. Pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. Well, we forget that there's seven opposite sins that correspond with each one of those. So the opposite of pride is self-loathing. Mm. The opposite of greed is wastefulness. The opposite of lust is prudishness. The opposite of anger is servility, being too servile in your attitude. The, the opposite of gluttony is deficiency. Think of anorexia nervosa, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the opposite of envy is cowardice or timidity to an extreme. Uh, the opposite of sloth is workaholism. Now, even though these 14 things are opposite, seven are opposite of the other seven, both are bad. Both are bad. Think of the seven capital sins in the far left column. Think of these seven opposite extremes that I just enunciated in the far right column. Well, how do we, come over, how do we overcome either extreme? You have to practice the median virtue. You have to practice the median virtue. What's the median virtue? Well, between pride and self-loathing, it's humility. Between greed and wastefulness, it's generosity. Between lust and prudishness, it's chastity. Between anger and servility, it's meekness. Between gluttony and deficiency, the virtue is temperance. Between envy and cowardice, it's kindness. And between sloth and workaholism, those two extremes, both are bad, it's the virtue of diligence. And this comes from our great Catholic patrimony, from the writings of the church fathers of the first eight centuries, the writings of the saints, uh, the church's sacramental economy, the teaching of the seven sacraments. Again, Eucharist and reconciliation are the only two sacraments that can be received over and over and over again with much frequency. Why? Because these two sacraments are what sustain us in the spiritual life. So, so this is just one example of that betterment, that best version of self, that life of virtue um, that we're called to. Now, it's really interesting, Chris, when you have, for example, 
the two extremes, uh, pride and self-loathing, uh, as a predominant personality trait or a, per, or a predominant characteristic trait. Say in a marriage, let's say you have the very prideful husband and a very self-loathing wife. Both have to practice what? Humility. Mm. St. Thomas Aquinas describes humility as, quote, seeing your place and taking it. So the prideful husband needs to come down a few notches. The self-loathing wife needs to go up a few notches. Seeing your place and taking it. In other words, the wife's not meant to be a doormat to her husband, okay? Mm -hmm. And yet the husband's not called to be prideful either, an egoistic maniac. How about greed and the opposite extreme of wastefulness? You know, the greedy person says, I want it all, I want it all, give it to me, I, you know, give it to me, I want it, I want it. The wasteful person says, ah, get rid of it, we don't need it. Well, what's the median virtue for either of those two extremes? Generosity. Have a generous spirit. Be willing to loan it out to others, whatever it is. Don't throw it out. You know, give, give to charity, okay? How about lust and its opposite extreme of prudishness? The prudish person sees anything to do with human sexuality as evil. Well, that's wrong. Human sexuality is a great gift. We're made in God's image and likeness, and, and anything about our human nature of the body-soul compositeness is a beautiful gift. So what do, the, what do the lustful person and the prudish person need to practice as a median virtue to get rid of their lustful nature, to get rid of their prudish nature? nature? the virtue of chastity. We're all called to chastity. Even, even married persons are called to chastity. Single persons in college are called to chastity. Priests are called to chastity. Nuns are called to chastity, each one according to his or her own vocation and state in life. So even married couples are called to chastity, right? But according to their married state. So for example, uh, there are some things in marriage that are immoral, uh, contraceptives. Um, anything that invites a, a third party into the marriage is considered morally evil, including print material or DVD material. Th this, is, this is wrong. So we're all called to chastity, each one according to his or her own state in life. How about the virtuous college student practicing chaste courtship in college? How awesome is that? Why does he do that? Why does he practice chaste courtship? Because he knows that his baptism his sacrament of confirmation as a single person in his 20s, sustained by regular Eucharist and reconciliation, he knows that these things call him to practice chaste courtship and not utilitarian, actively sexual, abusive courtship. That's why he practices chaste courtship. He knows his faith and he knows it well and he lives it well. How awesome is that? So yeah, this is the greatness we're called to. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more? And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? 
Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Inside the Pages. We're talking with Father Wade Menezes about his book, Overcoming the Evil Within, The Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy. What I love about it so much, Father, is that you are so steeped in Scripture and also the guidance of the saints and the catechism. I mean, this is this is just basic 101 that so many of us, we just didn't learn it fully, did we? Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I'm glad to hear you say that um, uh, you notice a lot of quotes from the saints and the church fathers and from the catechism, because that's very much my speaking style. I love to quote the saints. I love to quote the church fathers, etc. And I love to quote the catechism. Um, and so uh, I, I, my, my preaching by nature, you could say, is very catechetical. Um, it, I guess it's, it comes with the grace of, of the charism of, a, of being an itinerant traveling preacher, which is the main apostolate work of the Fathers of Mercy. That's why we were founded, to be itinerant missionary preachers, um, especially with the week-long parish mission and parishes, also with weekend conferences, day-long retreats, weekend retreats, etc., to bring people back around to practicing their faith. And we were founded uh, in 1808 in France in the immediate aftermath of the havoc and destruction that the French Revolution blew to the faith there. We were founded as an itinerant missionary preaching band of diocesan priests originally, who were known to be uh, effective preachers by the grace of God to bring uh, post-devastated French Revolutionary France, the people back to practicing their faith. And, And that's how we were founded. So I think the catechetical nature of our preaching is part and parcel with the apostolate. Uh, with the four last things that I wrote back in late 2017, as I said earlier, uh, the four last things, a catechetical guide to death, judgment, heaven, and hell, I do the same thing. I want to quote from the catechism, I, I, well, the, in the title, the subtitle, a catechetical guide to death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Uh, I, I wanted to quote from the catechism of the saints profusely, and I did just that. But your second part of what you just stated, 
uh, we have forgotten so much. I like to say that um, the Second Vatican Council, which ran from 1962 to 1965, isn't the cause, is not the cause of all this confusion and lack of catechesis today, but unfortunately it is the occasion by which the confusion has been fostered. Why is that? Well, Vatican II was solid as a rock. Those 16 documents are truly, truly ushered in and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Vatican II is very, very solid as an ecumenical council. The 21st ecumenical council held in the 2,000-year history of the Church. So you can't blame the Council. Rather, what we blame are the progressive forces within the Church, uh, which took the Vatican II ball, to use a sports metaphor. Mm -hmm. These liberal progressive forces after Vatican II closed in 65 took the Vatican II ball and, and ran in the wrong direction with it, if you will. And so we've suffered from a catechetical crisis in these 55 years afterwards. Um, and I don't think anybody can deny that. Um, you know, it, 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 like with the four last things, you know, just with the, the, the four last things themselves, um, I, I like to tell people when I preach on the four last things, and, and, and by default we can say the reality of sin and, and, its, and its, its existence and its devastating effects in a person's life if it goes unchecked, uh, we can say the same thing about sin, that um, the four last things after the Second Vatican Council have been forgotten, the Church's eschatology three of which will apply to each one of us personally. Um, death, judgment, heaven, and hell are the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, or hell will apply to each one of us, <laughs> whether we like it or not. But, mm -hmm. but the four last things have seemingly been forgotten after the Council, uh, and this surely is not the Council's fault. Vatican II was truly a solid, faithful, orthodox Council, as I said, truly ushered in by the Holy Spirit, but rather the Church's eschatology from the Greek word eschaton, which means the last, the last things. Uh, the Church's eschatology was rather de-emphasized, we could say, uh, after Vatican II, at the insistence of those who deemed the harder truths of death and judgment, quote-unquote, to be unappealing to the modern man and woman of the 1960s and beyond, and so we can say, Chris, unfortunately, I might add, that the post-Vatican II Church seemed to highlight the reality of heaven and salvation at the expense of the Church's teaching on death and judgment, and by default, the teaching on purgatory and hell, and by default, the Church's teaching on sin. But the fact is, is that heaven and hell, salvation and damnation, and by default, sin and virtue— are complementary doctrines. Each one feeds the other. These are complementary doctrines. It's not an either-or. In other words, we can't do what the post-Vatican II progressive forces in the Church did, nor can we do what the Jansenists did in 18th century France, where every little thing was a mortal sin. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. And the Church's teaching, like with these three columns of the seven capital sins in the far left column, uh, they're opposite extremes in the far right column, both are bad, right? Mm -hmm. I've said that already. But, but the median virtues to practice are in the middle, the via media, the middle way, the middle road, that's where virtue is found. So it's not an either-or with these doctrines, it's a both-and, and each doctrine complements the other doctrine. Heaven's doctrine complements hell's doctrine, and vice versa. Virtue and vice complement each other. Um, judgment and salvation complement each other. And this is the 
catechesis, Chris, that we got to get back to. I think it's really important that we understand that. And because when you are going through this process, I mean, as you're, you're feeling this call, you, you want to respond, you want to learn more about not only the teachings of the church, but the reality of sin. It's important that we do, as you point out in the book, self-knowledge, to be able to really understand ourselves and be real, if I could use that phrase, to be real with ourselves. And I think what's happened, if we don't have the background, like you said, we can't do that as fully as that light is just not as bright in every corner of our hearts. And because of that darkness, we will never be able to be fully brought into it, the light of Christ because we're, we're harboring that darkness. Uh, we're choosing to leave it there, or maybe because of our choice, or maybe just out of ignorance, don't you think, Father? I do, very much so. And what helps us get out of that rut that you're describing are what I identify in the book as the four key remedies to sin, uh, conviction, repentance, forgiveness, and mercy. So first of all, we need to be convicted in our sin. I've done wrong. This is why the time-honored spiritual practice for the daily spiritual life in in Catholic teaching on the spiritual life, on the interior life, the daily spiritual practice, Chris, of the daily examination of conscience, one done at midday uh, called the particular examine, and one one done at the end of the day called the general examine. Each one is is just about a minute to a minute and a half long, 90 seconds to two minutes at the most, where with the particular exam at around 12 or 1 o'clock, you look at your day particularly so far and how you've done in regards to maybe a particular virtue you're trying to advance in your life, say patience, or, uh, or how have you done thus far up to 12 noon or 1 o'clock with a particular vice you're trying to uproot out of your life, like maybe idleness at the Internet having too much idle time at the Internet, uh, which can be a temptation. Um, how am I doing in these areas? Okay, uh, And then you close it with a, an act of contrition. That's called the particular examine. We become convicted in the reality of sin. And then at the end of the day, you make the general examine just before you hit the pillow at night, I like to say, mm-hmm. where you look at your whole day generally, still a 90-second to two-minute exercise, but you look at your whole day generally into how you did with virtue and vice in general. Boy, did I holler at that poor store clerk, and it's not her fault she couldn't find the item that I wanted, um, and yet I took it out on her. I hollered at her, you know, and I'm sorry for that. Um, you know, you look at your whole day generally and see how you did, and you close it with, the, with a, uh, an examination. Uh, you close it with an act of contrition, uh, especially in the evening, uh, during the evening examine, uh, at the end of the day, I like to suggest that the person closes it with the confidior, uh, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned, etc., etc. Why do I recommend that? Because then you're closing each day with an official liturgical prayer of the Church. How beautiful is that? To close each day with, with a, 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 an official liturgical prayer of the Church. Because the Confidior is doubly, it is doubly an act of contrition. You know, and we forget that. So uh, these, these spiritual practices convict you. How about Lexio Divina, a chapter of Scripture a day? That helps convict, convict you as well, because you pick up things in Scripture, in your scriptural reading, just a chapter a day, 
that you know you may not have thought about before. So conviction leads to repentance. I want to repent now because I've been convicted in my sin. I want to repent. That leads to me getting to the confessional. So now forgiveness, the third of the four remedies to sin, forgiveness, and then following the forgiveness, actually during the forgiveness, I receive God's what? His mercy. And what is God's mercy? Well, mercy is who God is. It's love's second name. God is more interested in our future than in our past. He's more interested in the kind of person we can yet become than in the kind of person we used to be. While indeed taking our sins seriously, no doubt, God never, ever, ever takes those sins as the last word. Why? Because he knows he's made us in his image and likeness. He knows he calls us constantly to a life of his sanctifying grace. And he knows he is our God, who's bigger than any sin we might ever commit, even the most hideous and wicked mortal sin. So, again, conviction, repentance, forgiveness, and mercy. Those are the the four remedies to sin that we want to lead us to the fullness of recovery. This concludes part one of our conversation with Father Wade Meneses, going inside the pages of Overcoming the Evil Within. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to EWTNpublishing.com, the website for its publisher, EWTN, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors.